Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, Gabby and I dig into mindset around debt. So we tackle the kind of idea of like, should you even pay down your debt? How should you be thinking about that? We talk about how to think about banks as business partners, how to think with an expansive growth mindset versus a scarcity mindset. We talk about abundance versus scarcity quite a bit. We really dig into how to think about all this kind of stuff. Now, there is no one right answer to this. And there and your situation is going to be unique to you. But if you want to tackle a different way to think about debt and how to manage that and how to achieve greater greater levels of freedom, choice, and abundance in your life by leveraging more, getting bigger, thinking more expansively, achieving more, doing more, having more, all of that kind of stuff, then this is the episode for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. On today's show, you got both Goose and Gabby. Gabby, what's going on? Woohoo! It's a couple of buds hanging out. Couple of buds. Couple, couple of buds. Of, couple of wealth building buddies hanging out. <laughs> what's been going on? What's happening? How are you? What's happening? Um, I'm good. I feel really happy today. We did a bit That's of good. a did a bit of a webinar event yesterday, which was really Secret. fun. Secret webinar only invite invite only, only guys. But it was really awesome. It was cool. It was a vibe, that's for sure. It was like a party. <laughs> it, was a it, was, it was a vibe. It was a total vibe. There was a part. It was a party going on. So we did yeah. it on the day that um, we did it on the day that the RBA increased the cash rate by fifty basis points, which was the biggest single cash rate change in twenty two yeah. years. It's yeah. pretty crazy. And it was still a vibe. It was still a bloody party. It was awesome. So <laughs> you know that says something. So anyway, we're not here to talk about that though. What are we? What are we? What's the? What's the vibe today? What are we vibing? What are we vibing? We're vibing. Um, look, a lot of people have kind of hang-ups about debt, you know, the concept of mm. debt, having debt, having a lot of debt. I think, I don't know, it's part of the Australian culture, I guess, and just, you know, how we're raised to, like, not have any debt, you know? Mm. And we've kind of touched on this before, but we wanted to kind of dig into, like, a different way that you can think about debt and how that fits into your portfolio strategy and how, you know, mm. you don't, always need to really focus on reducing your debt when you're purchasing the right asset, really. Yeah, totally. It's a pretty good one, right? Because you're right, a lot of people have an aversion to debt. You know, they think mm. that the goal is, you know, we often get told, you know, like I guess a pro- probably a more, I'm going to say an older way of thinking, but take it however you want. It's kind of like traditional. Traditional. That's traditional. Yeah. Old school maybe way of thinking is <laughs> is basically get a job, buy a house, pay down the debt on your house, and that's success. Like that's yeah. that's what it's all about. You know, that's the goal. That's what you should do. It's like, I mean, I'm just going to say it plainly. Like you absolutely do that if, if, you're, if you're only aiming for mediocrity. And, and I mean that, you know, it might sound a little controversial for me to say that, but to be honest, that is not going to lead to an exceptional life. Now, you can have a fulfilling life, right? Absolutely, you can have a fulfilling life. You can have a great life that meets all of your security needs, raise a great family, you know, contribute to your community. You can do all of that kind of stuff. It'll. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a necessarily a fulfilling life, but certainly wouldn't be an exceptional life, right? And mm. so... And so, to that degree, it would it would you know sit in the middle band of mediocrity in my in my personal view. Now, as we're talking about debt and stuff, it's really important to understand. Firstly, 
no no two people are the same. So what I might yeah. say is my opinion and my view and all of that kind of stuff. And it might be different from you. And I cast no judgment or dispersions on you for whatever you, you desire in your own life. The second thing is we are not uh, licensed to give financial advice. So anything that we say on this show is our opinion only, right? And you should always go and get your own financial advice based on your own specific personal situation. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's with all of that being said, I think it's a really great topic because, you know, if you really look at it, the companies, the people, all of that kind of stuff that get the highest levels of success, and and I use that term lightly because success means different things to different people. For some people, mm. success is having $50,000 passive income and just not having to work again and they can just backpack mm. around all over. Awesome. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. That would be awesome, right? Um but when I'm in the context that I'm talking about, I mean, like achieving greatness, you know, achieving some level of extraordinary outcome, um, they all use leverage, right? Now, leverage mm-hmm. comes in many, many different ways, shapes, or forms, right? But oftentimes they're also using debt as leverage. I mean, even if you look at Elon Musk, you know, in his Twitter takeover, what's he using debt? You know, like like yeah. the richest the richest man in the world. What's he? What's he? All of his wealth, for example, is tied up in in um, Tesla. Sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes getting confused to say Telstra. He's not Telstra. Doesn't have Telstra shares. <laughs> He's not buying Telstra. <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, yeah. No, so, <laughs> could help with Starlink or something somehow. Anyway, so he um. <laughs> Yeah, so he's got a lot of value in in his um, stock options and shares and stuff in Tesla. And so, mm-hmm. how does he get that opportunity? How does he use that? He uses leverage. He gets debt, right? He gets <laughs> debt against those. So even like the biggest wealthiest people in the world are using loads of debt. Now, debt is not something to be scared of, right? Mm-hmm. Debt debt to be scared of, in my opinion, would be the debt on on an asset which doesn't produce any income. Like that's that's gnarly debt, and so. Like some examples of that would be a car loan. And again, if you can afford it and you want to go and get a car loan, cool, great, right? But let's not pretend that that's good debt. (laughs) That is not good debt. It is not income producing debt on an asset that is depreciating in value. Now, another example of bad debt would be on a principal place of residence. Now, you can argue that a principal place of residence is potentially going to go up in value and therefore it makes it an asset, but an asset should also produce an income stream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the same time, sure, it might be going up in value, but if you're not producing any income from it, your capability to be able to tap into that value in that asset is going to be severely diminished because you might not have the buying capacity to be able to take it out anyway. So therefore, it could actually just be a completely, complete waste of time. But- yeah. If you've got, and I know that you want to say something, Gavin, I know that I'm waffling, but I'm obviously pretty keen on this one, right? So, all right, the other, like a, an example of good debt would be, for example, an investment property which produces an income stream. Mm-hmm. And if you've got an asset which is increasing in value, or even if it doesn't increase in value, right, and it's producing income and it can cover the cost of its own debt and you've got no out-of-pocket expenses, who cares? Give me a trillion dollars worth of debt that pays for itself. I'll be very happy. You know, so I think that people are just going to reframe their position around debt. But anyway, before I keep going, if you, what do you want to chuck in there? Oh, no, I was just thinking about like, I think a lot of people, you know, listening to this are familiar with Robert Kiyosaki and, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, classic wealth building. Like it's one of the first books that people read that really changes their way that they think about wealth and property and, you know, business and everything. Like how do I, you take what I have 
and mm. leverage it in different ways to get a better outcome. Because you have everyone starts with a certain amount of resources, whether that's cash deposit, savings, income level, like time. Like some people have heaps of time that they can invest into. They can leverage their time into other things to build up their education and their knowledge, and that makes them more valuable to them make better decisions. And and got that that continues. Um, but you know, everyone starts in a position and then you leverage something into something mm. that is greater. And so I think it's interesting with like people really like Kiyosaki and understanding that concept of like other people's money. So like OPM mm. being the fundamental, you hear that and you're like, well, that sounds awesome because you're like, <laughs> I'll just take my money, but then I'll also use other people's money, which includes banks, right? So OPM includes yeah. banks. That just means that it's not your money. It's other people's money that you are using and leveraging to increase an outcome. You're getting an ROI from somebody else's resources. And so this comes into this debt play. So like a lot of people like Kiyosaki and like that idea, but then on the other hand, the the contradiction is that people are going, oh, I want to reduce my debt. Mm. And there's time and place for everything. Like you said about like success, like there is a lot of people that for success to them, it's like debt, like I want to be debt free. I, you know, want to have like no debts, no loans, nothing. I want to be completely paid off, which is awesome. But there's a time and a place to have that as a priority, particularly obviously when you're building a property portfolio, you know, like if you think that you can buy a property, pay that down 100% and then buy another one and pay that down 100%, you will never really get anywhere with that. Like you need yeah. to use the tools available, which includes loans and debt like debt is a tool yeah. in this space using that to propel your strategy forward rather than just thinking oh, i need to reduce it reduce it reduce it be aware of it yeah but understand that if you are buying properties it's not usually the best focus early on well it's a zero-sum game versus an infinite game Right. Mm. So a zero sum game in the context of like, I'm going to buy one house and pay it off and one of or two houses or three houses. And I'm just going to focus on paying down the debt. That isn't, that is by definition finite, right? You are saying, I am going to draw the edges of the board, whatever that be, one, two, three, four, five properties, whatever it might be. I'm going to draw the edges of the map and then I'm just going to color in the map, right? And that is a finite game, right? That is a zero sum game. It means you're going to get to X and that is it. Boom, done, complete, versus playing an infinite game, right? And an infinite game is infinitely more interesting. Now, how do you get an infinite return on your money? Not 100% return on capital, not a 500%, not a 1,000, not 10,000, not a million percent, an infinite return on capital. How do you think you do that? That's a tease. You're teasing. I am teasing, but this is true, right? <laughs> the way that you do that is with debt. Hmm. Right. So let's say you let's say you buy a property and let's just freak very mud mouths here today, guys. Right. So let's say you buy a property with, you know, a 10% um, deposit. Mm -hmm. And let's just say, let's just say it's 20% costs all, all in, right? Once you've got all the purchasing costs and all of that kind of stuff. Let's say you've got 20% total capital into a property. But for, let's 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 do some maths, right? Five hundred thousand dollar property, 20% all that's all the cash you put into it is a hundred grand, right? Mm -hmm. So now, let's just say that property goes up to $600,000, right? Goes up in value to $600,000. If you then refinance, i.e. apply more debt to that property 
to take out that $100,000, right, you're essentially, you've got no money left in that deal, $0 in the deal. You've got no money left in the deal. Mm. And so what that means is you've, if you've got no money left in the deal but you still own the asset, every single cent that that, is, that that asset makes from that point onwards is an infinite return, <laughs> right? Mm. Because like you're making money off zero capital, zero residual capital contribution, right? So you can create an infinite return. It is like wild. And then you can just do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Now, where people can get a little bit stuck with this or where they potentially come unstuck is by um, leveraging too hard for too long, right? So this is absolutely not an argument to say that you should max out everything all the time, right? Because that actually is not very going to be very good for your portfolio. So let me give some context to that. Let's just say you, you buy properties at 90% LVR, right? Uh, or we use the same context, you put 20% total, total cash into the deal, right? And let's just say in the case that we've just used the $500,000 property, it's gone up to 600 grand and then you take all the cash out, great. And then you can use that 100 grand to then go buy another property. Let's call it a $500,000 property. Great, hmm. you put 100 grand in, it goes up by 100 grand to 600 grand. You take the cash out, you're right, and you move. You can, what you're doing there is you're taking the same capital and you're repositioning it to continue to buy more properties and more properties and more properties. So you're taking the same amount of money and you're buying multiple properties with it, right? And creating an infinite return cycle off the back end of it. Now, if you went back to property number one, and let's just say over another 12 months, it grew by another 100 grand, and then you take that 100 grand back out again, and you're essentially continuously you know, shaving that property down to the bone every year, right? After a while, that's going to become a very sick property, right? After not that long. Now, when I talk about a sick property, what I mean is that the debt is going to become, the cost of debt and the cost of holding that property is going to become significantly higher yep. than the income that is produced by that property. Now, you can offset that by the other cash, by other cash flows in the portfolio, right? Mm. So if you have one or two properties where that's the case, where you've done that and the cash flow has gone negative, but you're taking out tons of equity, it's growing well, and you're using that equity to buy more cash flowing assets, et cetera, and then you're pumping that cash flow back to redistribute that across the portfolio. So on net, your portfolio is neutral or positive, right? That's all good. But if you do that with every property in your portfolio, you won't have that outcome because it, because what's going to happen is all of your properties will sink too negative in cash flow, and you're going to end up with a cash deficit in your portfolio, and that would be really unhealthy. What you'll be mm-hmm. setting yourself up for there is a very high-risk situation where if anything goes wrong, you're going to be massively highly leveraged, and your portfolio won't be producing enough cash to take care of itself. Okay, so this I'm absolutely not saying every chance you get, refinance every dollar you get out of every one of your properties, and off you go. I'm absolutely not saying that, but... I am saying that you can actually use debt to actually massively accelerate. I mean, look, our portfolio, we've only put in 100 grand, right? And our, our LVR, I think, is at like 72%, right? Yeah. And we've only ever put in 100 grand to the whole portfolio, right? And it's and it, like, that's crazy, right? And, it, and here's the other thing, because a lot of people then think, well, don't I need to pay down my debt? And when should I pay down my debt? And to be honest, you'd... You kind of don't need to. You can just give it enough time of doing nothing, right? So let's just say you have a general thesis in your portfolio that you're going to refinance all of the equity out of the properties only twice or something like that, right? And that's a maybe a healthy amount or something like that. 
if you just leave the properties alone and do nothing over a over a couple of years, the LVR is going to reduce. You know, it's going to reduce massively mm-hmm. because the value of the property is going to go is going to go up, and if the loan to value ratio will change, right? And so, if the value goes up and the loan amount stays the same then the LVR goes down, right? So given a 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40-year, 50-year time horizon, you could easily go from a 90% LVR to an 80%, to a 70%, to a 60%, to a 50%. You could get that almost down to, you could, you wouldn't get it to 0% because you just have some debt on it, but your debt will stay the same, but the value of the property will change, right? And so if you think about the fact that you know the national median house price in 1980 was about 75 grand or whatever it was, right? If you had if you had a 100% LVR loan on that property, it would it would have become a 1% LVR loan in about 12 12 years or 13 years, right? And so mm. all you need to do is give it a little bit of time for the value to change in the property and your debt levels are going to change. Um anyway, what do you think about that? <laughs> That's good. Um yeah, I was just thinking about our portfolio as well and I was thinking like my personal preference is to have just marginally cash flow positive because that that's again for our situation. Yeah. If it's just cash flow positive enough where the rent covers all of the mortgage repayments, all of the expenses, the operating costs for that particular property, if they operate in a silo and they're just marginally cash flow positive, then that's kind of like an indication for me that you are using the right amount of leverage. It's kind of like once mm. it dips below negative because that doesn't suit our strategy that's kind of when you should stop kind of just keep refinancing out. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 100%, right? And so there's a couple of ways to think about that as well. So then you've got the kind of like interest only versus principal and interest. Now, the Mm. principal and interest loan scenario, the concept of that is that you're going to be paying down your debt over time. And what we're talking about here is the fact that you actually might not need to, right? So if you think about the cost of capital, right? So let's just assume that you've got a 4% interest rate on your uh, mortgage at the moment. Paying down your debt is going to give you a capital return of 4% a year, right? Because you're going to be reducing your debt, the cost of debt is four percent, right? So for every thousand dollars that you're, uh, for every hundred dollars you're um, putting into paying down the debt, you are making a gain of four dollars, right? So for every hundred dollars, you're making four dollars. Really simple maths. That is the cost of capital. Is that four dollars? Now, mm-hmm. if now if you reposition that hundred dollars and put it into another asset, could you beat that hurdle rate of four dollars, right? So I would suggest that you probably can, right? Particularly if you're going on, on an interest-only basis because the cash on cash returns are going to cover that expense anyway. Plus also the interest the interest component of your debt on an investment property is, ta- is tax deductible against your marginal tax rate as well. So you get the additional benefit there. Now, here's an interesting thing. And I thought this was actually a really interesting trigger. I was speaking to Chris Raymond the other day, actually on this podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. It's a couple of episodes ago. Um, and I asked him this question. I said, would like, because he has all of his stuff is on interest only. And um, I said, when would you, like, when would you, I said, would you keep it on interest only forever? And he said, no. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why not? When would you change? He said, and I thought this was a really great insight and this is why it's worth repeating again. And this is just one perspective. He said that he would switch his investment properties to principal and interest only when 
his investment properties have paid off his principal place of residence, right? So he's got his principal place mm-hmm. of residence, right? Which is bad debt because it's non-income producing debt, right? And so his property investments are all on interest only. The cash flow from those property investments goes into paying down his bad debt as fast as possible, his non-income producing mm-hmm. debt as fast as possible, right? And so then once that's paid off and he's got no more bad debt, well, then all of the other cash is surplus. And at that point, it might make sense to start paying down the debt. Now, there's two ways to think about that. You could either say, sure, it might make sense to pay down the debt, or in fact, it might make sense to actually just go get more investment properties, right? So there's two ways to think about it. But it's really interesting to think about like, what is that trigger for any one individual? And I thought that that was a really good way of thinking about it on an individual basis. I would still argue that um, if I could never pay down the debt and only ever pay interest only for life, then I'd probably choose that because I'd choose to be a debt millionaire, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's um it's interesting, right? Because I hear I hear the word debt and I think of Charlie. So our client Charlie obviously has been on this podcast many times, um, but I know that I'm pretty sure when they when they all of their properties that they bought with us initially principal and interest, right? From memory, yeah. And so I know that now. How many have we bought with them? Three or four. Not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not five. sure. But I know that he got. They got to a point where it was like, I've got all this equity because I've been paying P and I, and there's all mm. this equity in and the, the properties, properties have been growing, right? And the properties, and the properties have, been growing. have been growing. That the LVR was down to like, I don't remember, low, low, eight percent or something. It was really low. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, well, what do I, what do I do with that? Like, and they're just going to end up refinancing that out and keep going. So right. they didn't like have if you to could... put it in as principal through the through totally. payments. Yeah. So rather than rather than locking up rather than locking up your capital on the balance yeah. sheet, keep your profit liquid, right? So, yeah, yeah. and it's a, a it's a big trap that I see a lot of people getting into because they end up being massively equ- equity millionaires versus being, you know, asset millionaires, right? So, and I think that there's a smarter way to think about. It. I like to think about scale, right? And so if I get to your point and to Robert Kiyosaki's point, using other people's money. It's like mm-hmm. if I can if I can use more debt, right? And that allows me to get to 10, 15, 20, 30 investment properties, or maybe put it in a different way, allows me to buy 10, but maybe some of those are unit blocks or whatever the case may be. If it allows me to build a bigger, more significant portfolio mm-hmm. versus I'm only going to use all my own money and I don't want to, I don't want to go into debt or go into effectively a partnership. Because the other way to think about debt, right? The other mm-hmm. way to think about debt is it's kind of like a partnership. Now, it is giving some degree of ownership over the asset to another individual, right? So it's almost like saying, if I wanted to go and buy a $10 million um, block of apartments, a unit block somewhere, right? I don't have 10 million bucks, right? So what are my options? My options are go find someone who's got, you know, the balance of the cash, pretty much 10 million bucks because, you know, like don't have that much money. So um, (laughs) find someone who's got the cash to buy the asset, right? And so go say, hey, do you want to go into business with me? And I'll I'll give you a proportionate share of ownership based on how much cash you're going to put into it. Or do I find someone who wants to effectively go into business on a part-time basis and make money make money in a different way, right? And in that situation, I'm saying go into a bank or a non-bank or whatever the case may be and say, hey, would you like to go into business with me? I've found this asset. It does X. It produces X amount of income. I'm going to put in this much cash. And I'm going to I'm going to take the ownership over being responsible for making sure that you're going to get all your cash back out of it in a certain period of time. Do you want to go into business? Great. Right. Mm-hmm. And you take on a business partner. So a better way to think about it rather than this kind of onerous, 
debt conversation, which may, it's, has negative connotations. Oh, you're in debt. Debt is bad. All this kind of stuff. It's actually more like a partnership. It's like, do you want to be a capital partner on this journey with me and help me to get a portfolio? Because I can absolutely mm. tell you, Blackstone, huge, big private equity firm that own hundreds of thousands of houses, they don't have the money to buy all those houses. They don't have the money to buy all those houses. They do not have that much cash. What they do is they go raise a fund, right? And they say, hey, guys, we want to go and buy 100,000 houses. Who wants to go into business with us? Give us your money and we'll give you this kind of return. So they go and raise capital. And then what they do with that capital is they then go to a a bank, all right? And they say, hey, we've now got all this capital from all these other people who want to go into business with us. Do you want to go into business with us too? Mm-hmm. If you give us some money to put into this fund to buy 100,000 houses, we'll give you this much of a return. How does that sound? And the bank says, yeah. So effectively, effectively they go into business twice to achieve that outcome. They're not just swanning around with wallets full of cash going, well, well, as long as I don't go into debt, you know, this is going to be good because they'd end up with about three houses and they'd get nowhere versus being one of the largest um you know, investment company, investment firms in the, in the, on the planet. Right. So it's all about perspective, I think. Yeah. It's, it's reminding me actually, like when we very early days in the, in the business where we were starting to educate people on Mm. how this all works and how you can, you know, not get stuck in a portfolio and, and how to leverage it. And, you know, the real early stuff that you learn when you learn about property. Um, And I remember I used to explain it like, Think of it like the like the bank basically owns the property, right? You technically own it, but they kind of they have controlling interest, right? So think about mm-hmm. it like they own, you know, whatever the LVR is. If it's eighty percent, they own eighty percent. You own twenty percent, right? Think yeah. about it that way, and it is in that like business partner mindset. Like, yeah, they own eighty percent. You own twenty percent, but you get one hundred percent of the cash flow, and you get one hundred percent of the growth. So if you own yeah. 20% today, they own 80%. If that grows, I'm not going to do this math, but if it grows by 10%, mm. then you get that 10%. They, the bank doesn't get the 10%. You get the 10%. And then so that evens out, but you get all the cash flow. And then if you want to leverage more out because it's grown by 10% and you've got that extra, you then go to the bank and basically like sell a portion of your share back to them and go, hey, it's grown by this much. Do you want to buy this a little bit more? Mm. They go, yes, cool, I'll do that. And then you're, you know, that's how you're leveraging cash back out to buy another thing. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting that you're talking about the, that business mind, mindset because it is what it is. And I don't think enough people think about it. People will want the emotional, like, this is my property, I own my property, and the bank's just this like, kind of annoying devil thing that's like pretending that they have control but it's like they're a partner like you wouldn't have not many people have the cash to be able to go out and just buy properties in cash you know it's it's not very common people do it obviously but more often than not people rely on banks to buy properties and so if you're thinking about it like i have this amount of money this will buy me 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent of a property I'm going into partnership with a bank. That's just how that's just how it works. Yeah. It's, a, it's a partnership. There's loads of different ways to structure partnerships, right? So mm. if I've got a business, if I've got a business, right, I could and and I want to grow that business or I want to buy another business or whatever, I can I've got options, right? I can go to let's just say a private uh, high net worth individual, right? A high net worth individual who's got plenty of cash, I can go to them and say, "Hey, do you want to go in on this with me?" 
um, do you want to stump up the cash, right? If you can stump up the cash, you're going to buy this other business. And then they're going to say, great, what do I get out of it? And either they want to, they want a specific return and this different, or they could say, no worries. Like I want to, I'll lend it to you, but I want a guaranteed return. And so there's all these different ways of structuring these kinds of deals, right? And even debt has got many, many nuances. But I think, I think that's probably a way better way of thinking about it is that kind of partnership perspective. The other way to think, and like I think the other thing to just kind of loop back on this as well is that just a reminder that if you buy assets, right, that are good assets that are going to grow and produce enough cash flow, you don't ever personally need to be responsible for paying down those those debts because the properties will do, do it themselves. So you don't even need to worry about it, right? And there's mm. this whole kind of like uh, mindset that comes from um, most people's upbringing, which is like, are you a good saver? Are you you know smart with your money? Do you reduce your debts? Do you do all that kind of stuff? And I think that that puts these kind of constraints on people and how they think that they should behave versus saying, well, how do I get smart, right? How do I how do I achieve more without with less impact? So rather than trying to budget and save and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to buy the this other, you know, I'm going to buy the no name toothpaste because it's 20 cents cheaper than the brand name toothpaste. Look at me, I'm a saver, I'm a budgeter. Don't get me wrong, being smart with money is good, but at the same time, you don't want to get into a scarcity mindset around it, right? What you want to get into is a smart mindset and think about how do I get more? How do I achieve more? How do I have more, right? So rather than thinking, how do I reduce? Think about how do I expand, right? And if you can expand, then that's going to solve more, all of the problems, right? So you can expand your portfolio, generate more cash flow, and then you don't need to worry about t- picking the cheap cheap toothpaste, you know what I mean, right? So thinking with an expansive growth mindset versus a scarcity reduction mindset, this is going to change the way that you think about how you live your life and your portfolio. So rather than mm. thinking, how do I save money? How do I cut expenses? How do I reduce debt? All of those things are inwardly contracting down small small think little let's go little let's go small let's go subtract versus how do i add how do i grow how do i increase how do i increase my standard of living how do i go out to nicer restaurants how do i achieve that within the constraints that i've got well i might need to expand my income i might need to expand Mm. my net worth i might need to expand my exposure i might need to expand my portfolio because you can have whatever you want in life absolutely whatever you want in life, all you need to decide is what it is and go and get it, right? And so if you change the shift your mindset from a scarcity inward-facing, downward-facing mindset into an expansive growth base, you'll achieve more, see more, do more, have more, and achieve greater levels of success uh, in your life. And uh, and part of that is thinking thinking about how do you expand all this stuff and that's how it relates to debt as well. So, Hmm. Yeah, it's really really cool that you brought that up actually because I think that is one of the biggest mindset shifts that happened for us that has resulted in us being in the position that we are and having this amazing business that helps other people is that shift from instead of focusing on how do I reduce the cost, you focus on the other side of the equation, which is how do I increase the income? How do I increase the upside? How do I increase, expand, like you're saying? How do I bake a bigger pie? Yeah. yeah, rather than like, how do I reduce? And it's that's it's the scarcity versus an abundant mindset. And I think that, like personally, I think as soon as we kind of like learned that and really like started living that, so much changed, so much changed, and so much does change for people as they start to go, okay, what else can I do? How can I think bigger? How can I be more and think more, 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 <laughs> expand yeah. bigger. 
rather than shit i've only got these resources i don't want to lose them i'm gonna like stay still and stable and not take any risks and just try and like minimize any shake to that mm. stop focusing on that and think about how do i use that and do more with it yeah because it's it's really interesting right because on a metaphysical level your the your actions will create your reality right and so the trick the trick is even when you don't have much, even when you think that you might be in a state of scarcity, right? When you literally might not have much money, you need to go out and you need to live as if you are abundant, right? Mm. So what that means is you need to give, right? You need to, if you are worried about money right now, if you, right now, if you think I don't have enough money, I'm scared. There's not much money in the bank account. I'm a bit worried. Um, it's a, you know, payday is a fair way away or whatever. I, Go and take some of that money and go and donate it. Go and give it to a charity that you care about. Go and give it to yeah. someone, right? You will feel a shift, an energetic shift, right? The moment that you start giving, right? Because giving is the first step to receiving and first step to growing, right? Then you also need to think, all right, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to take myself out to a nice dinner or I'm going to go buy that fancy dress or I'm going to go do that thing or I'm going to, you've got to start walking into the future that you're creating. It's the only way that you can actually do it. And then the abundance will start to come back. But you mm -hmm. have to act with a growth mindset because you can't trick yourself. You can't lie to the way that you're you're the way that you are internally. And it's and it's an internal game that it that expresses itself on the outside. So I think it's yeah. I think it's absolutely critical that people start to get their get their mindset right around this stuff. Yeah. And I mean you and I can get pretty woo on money mindset. So I'm I'm keen to know if anyone, if you guys are interested and maybe we'll do another podcast on more of this side of things if you're Sounds not great. interested that's cool hope you've enjoyed the episode <laughs> <laughs> um i've got put i've got a question before we kind of wrap up okay i think people obviously we've talked about like there's a bias and we're kind of educated as we grow up in this country to think about reducing debt and, and you know being a good saver and I mean, saving is good but the debt piece how can people think about that from a risk perspective, because I think particularly like there's a lot happening in the world. There's a lot of changes, rates, inflation, yeah. blah, blah, blah. A lot of like the, the common kind of noise is that if you have a lot of debt and then, you know, interest rates go up or mm. there's a lot of change in government, like there's a lot of things that people feel having a lot of debt seems risky. Like how can people think about that in this kind of environment? Yeah. So it's a good point, right? So how do you manage risk? So mm. risk, risk comes from knowledge, right? And understanding, right? So the more that you understand something, the lower the risk is, right? Mm -hmm. If you need to get open heart surgery, right? <laughs> and the person doing the surgery has never done the surgery before, hasn't trained to be a surgeon, doesn't know um, one end of the scalpel from the other, all that kind of stuff, the risk of you dying on the operating table is pretty high, right? Versus someone who has 30 years of experience, has seen it, done all that kind of stuff, has loads of knowledge, yep. right? So, so risk is a factor of knowledge knowledge and understanding. That's that's literally it, right? The more that you understand a topic, the easier you can manage the risk and the lower the risk, the, the relative risk is, right? Same thing goes with debt and property and all of that kind of stuff. So if you don't know much, right? And if you listen to the media, right? Then, you know, you might be thinking, well, I need to reduce all my debt because what if the housing market crashes? What if it crashes by like 30 or 40%, right? I don't want to go into negative equity. But you've also then got to actually um, look at 
the the situation and go, okay, what is the actual risk? Now, I don't have the stats in front of me right now exactly, but I think that the largest downturn we had uh, in the property market in Australia was 10, maybe 15%, right? It was the largest downturn that we've ever had. I think it might've only been about 10%, right? So over all these people- period? Uh, over a few years, right? Yep. So, but that's like the largest that we've ever had, right? So you've also then got to take into consideration if you hear all these doom and gloom reports, right? Housing markets are going to crash by X. It's like, is it really mm. going to crash, be the biggest crash that we've ever seen in the history of ever? Look, potentially that happens, right? That kind of stuff does happen. But you've also then got to got to weigh up what is the actual risk and likelihood of that happening to your specific assets, why all of that kind of stuff. And so I think it's situationally dependent. I mean, certainly... If somebody bought in uh, Sydney in, let's call it late 2021, and they bought on a 95% LVR loan, then yeah, they're probably going to go into negative equity, right? And that would mm. be a high risk situation. But if you, but there's many other situations where you'd be in a very low risk position to do that. So it's really about understanding what your risk tolerance is, what your understanding is of the market, how to get more educated, how to partner with the right people, all of that kind of stuff. Um, personally, I don't see uh, much of a capital risk at all, um, particularly for ourselves and the properties we bought and our clients and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't see it's a very high risk kind of thing at all. But it's does it does depend on what you're buying, where you're buying, and what your understanding of risk is and what your risk appetite is. Did I, did I answer your question effectively? Yeah, I think it like like most things that we talk about comes back to buying right property, right place, right time, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding, you know, so much of this is about building your knowledge and and you know. Hopefully, what we share on this podcast is helping people to to do that and to think differently about it, and to think like, how do I again focus on the on the expansion piece? Yeah, can I? Can I, I want to I want to throw a few more things in there because I had a couple of seconds yeah. to think about it there. So let's just say let's just say that um, you know the property market shits the bed and you've bought a property and then all of a sudden you go ten percent negative equity. What's going to happen mm. then? Right? What is going to happen then? If you have bought an asset, right, which produces more income than it uses, probably nothing's going to happen, right? Because you're still going to hold the asset, right? And until you sell the asset, you're not going to realize any of the loss, right? So you've still got the asset, you still control the asset, you still got the income coming from it, right? And probably the incomes are going to be going up because more people are going to want to rent because they're going to be thinking the property price is no good and all of that kind of stuff, right? So it's probably actually going to work inversely better. Now, you've also got to remember that even if it did crash, even if we did have a complete total collapse of like 20% or something like that, it's not going to last. <laughs> like it's not going to last. It will come back up, right? So even in the GFC, when it crashed massively, property prices went back up. And even in 2017 to 2019, property prices went back up. So you, if, as long as you can afford to hold the asset, then you're not going to be in a position where you're going to be struggling. Now, banks, if there is a big big crash, bank, banks aren't going to want to try and call in loads of bad debt because they are going to have to realize the bad debt as well, right? So you've got to think about that. Now, there's a big difference between somebody not paying their mortgage, right? An individual not paying their mortgage, getting behind in their debts and the bank saying, you know what, actually, we're going to foreclose on your house and reclaim the house versus, you know, a million people or 10 million people with their houses underwater. The banks can't afford to call in all those loans, right? Mm. They can't afford it because then they have to capitalize on the loss. <laughs> they would be screwed, right? Mm. And so, uh, you know, there's 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 a saying, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like if if I've got a million dollars of debt, that's a that's that's my problem. But if I've got a billion dollars of debt, that's that's somebody else's problem. You know what I mean? Or something like that, right? So 
to a certain degree, if it's kind of happening on that scale, like the risk is actually lower, right? Because because nobody wants to capitalize on that loss and it's probably going to bounce back, right? So, um, so I would suggest that like having a steady hand as you go through these kind of environments is is critical as well and understanding that it's like if if all of our assets went if they went down by whatever 20 30 percent right now we'd just hold them we'd just hold them we'd just keep mm. holding them because what's the point in capitalizing on the loss zero and they produce enough income to cover all their expenses okay cool great so mm. like even that's not something to be scared of in my opinion um so that's yeah i just wanted to throw that in there as a way yeah. to think about that yeah, it's the same like if you look at like shares, right? The the fluctuation in share price mm. changes by the minute basically. <laughs> but yeah. if you sell when it goes down because you freak out and you're like shit it's going to tank, like yeah. this is a downward trend looking at the last 5 minutes. Yeah. Look at where it was, look at where it is now, it's going down, so I'm going to get out before it goes lower. If you sell at that point you've lost. Like you have lost depending on when you got in, but assuming it's less than what you bought lost. it for, you've lost, right? But if you don't sell at that point, if you write it out, that fluctuation means nothing to you, you know? The difference, the difference being that your share is probably up producing enough income, right? And so you're in a yeah. negative position, right? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And the other thing as well is like just going back to it, it's like property is property should not be a short-term game, right? It should mm. not be a short-term game. Yep. You know, you want to be hanging on to your properties for multiple years and rate rises don't last forever. They've gone up before, right? They go up and then they go down. And like, typically it's like two years or something like that. De- property market downturns, they have happened, they do happen. And then they bounce right back up and they go to record. They achieve new records as well. So mm. all you need to do is stay in the game, right? And that is not a reason to think small. That is actually a reason to think bigger, right? Because as these things rebound, and if you can keep pushing forward when other people are contracting, you're going to be setting yourself up for even greater levels of success when you come through the other side. So, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, and people adapt, right? I think we forget how adaptable we are. If you do end up in a position where, you know, you might have bought the wrong property or something has happened and you need to sell it, you adapt. Like you can sell, you can put that money somewhere else, you can adjust. Like we are designed to survive anything. That is how we're built is to survive and to adapt. And so it is not the worst thing in the world if you get to a position where you need to accept like, okay, that was probably not the best investment. Let's Mm. do what I can in this moment to keep moving forward, whatever that involves. And then you just learn and you keep going. Like it is not, I think so many people get caught up in like trying not to make mistakes. Yes, there's a, a, like, it's one of the largest purchases that people will make, but you can still, you adapt. Like if you kind of take your ego out of it, you will learn move on, learn the lesson, try again. And that's that's how we continue to grow. So. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think we've covered a lot of ground on this episode though, Gabby. What do you reckon? We have, yeah. Awesome. Well, why don't we leave it there? And to Gabby's point earlier, if you want us to do some more episodes on mindset, money mindset, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, then we're really into that kind of stuff. We're, we love a bit of the woo, a bit of the wealth woo, wealthy mm-hmm. woos. Um, so if you want some wealthy words, just email wealthy woo to T I 
<laughs> the TIL at dashdot.com.au. That's wealthy woo. Just send that in the subject line. Or in fact, send us a question that you would like us to answer or let us know if you would like us to talk more about mindset, money mindset, and how to overcome those challenges and those fears to think bigger and live a more prosperous and abundant life. Do that by sending us an email to TIL at dashdot.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Cool. Bye.